Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. Hey, so uh, I read this story last week, uh, this past week, and it was about Jonathan Whitfield. Jonathan Whitfield was preaching to, to some coal miners in England, and he asked one of them, he said, hey, tell me, tell me, um, what is it, what is it that you believe about God? How do you believe? And he said, well, I believe a lot like the church. He said, okay, well, how does the church believe? And he said, well, they, they believe a lot like me. And so when he saw that he wasn't really getting anywhere with him, he said, well, listen, tell me this. How do both you and the church believe? What do you believe? And he said, well, I reckon we, we believe about the same. So he really didn't help him. <laughs> and so, but I, what I want to talk to you today about is building your belief. Building your belief. So would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2, whatever kind of Bible that you have, whether it be a phone, whether it be a paper bag, whatever it is, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I want to talk a little bit about constructing faith because constructing faith, which flows with building belief, when you construct faith, there's basically three main ways that you, can, that you construct faith. Okay, is that you make a decision, you decide what you believe, you declare what you believe, and then you display what you believe. Okay, so you decide, declare, display. Can I get an amen? But fundamental about faith, what's fundamental about faith is your belief system. What is it that you believe? Because that dictates your level of faith. How you believe is how you're going to receive. So if you can believe it, you can receive it right? If you have faith for it, then you can receive that and what a blessing it is. So, so the other thing that it does though is what you believe also dictates your integrity, your honesty, um, your values in your life, how you believe. It affects every area of your life, doesn't it? So let's, so look at uh, Hebrews chapter two, uh, but I want to say this first. I, I I was reading this last week and I thought it was really good. For centuries, people believed that Aristotle was right when he said that heavier object will fall faster to the earth than a lighter object. Aristotle was regarded as the, you know, the all-time greatest thinker of his generation. And surely, I mean, how could he be wrong? So anyone, of course, could have taken two objects and they could have taken a heavier one and a lighter one and they could have dropped it from a really high area and they could have seen for themselves that they would hit at the same time but nobody nobody challenged this thought until 2,000 years after Aristotle's death in in 1589 Galileo summoned and he learned um, uh, he summoned all these learned professors and he brought them to the base of, of the leaning tower of Pisa and then he went up top and he pushed off these two items, one that was 10 pounds and then one that was one pound. And he pushed them off the edge and they both hit the ground at the same time. Well, look what happened after that happened. Because what you believe is very powerful, right? I mean, if you have a belief about something, it's a very powerful thing. So this is what happened. <laughs> when those hit the ground, even though the people could see it with their eyes, the power of belief was so strong that they denied what their eyes saw. And they chose to believe Aristotle. And they chose to say he was right. Man, that's the power of belief. 
Many people believe something and oftentimes they don't really know why or, you know, they believe it because they want it to be that way. That's not a good reason to believe something. We need to believe something because it's truth, right? Because it's truth. So why am I talking about this? Here's the reason why. is because there's a lot. Let me rephrase this. There are Christian leaders, especially lately it's come out and and they're younger leaders. But nevertheless, they have been raised in church. They've been taught to believe a certain way up to a point. But now what they've decided to do is what I was taught is no longer uh, what they're doing is they're doing what they call deconstruction. They're, they're demoing what they believed, what they were taught to believe, and now they're chasing after truth uh, in other areas other than the Word of God. And so this is why I wanted to talk to you about that. So read with me Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, This is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. An anchor keeps a boat from drifting. When an anchor is set, you can just sit out there in the center of the lake and have the time of your life. And you can watch the waves go by you can watch the water go by but the boat stays stationary why because it's anchored it's time for the church it's time for every person as a believer as a Christian to get anchored in what you believe why so that you can't be shaken off of it many let me say it this way many people that get married because they're not anchored and their love for that spouse or their, or their relationship with that spouse is rooted and grounded on something other than uh, God and friendship, they can be wavered in their love for one another. Why? They're not anchored in the right thing. Let me say it this way. I, okay, so in, when did we meet, honey? In 90? No. It was 80. 88. 88. Don't laugh. How old are you? No, it was 88. <laughs> He's my age. <laughs> Back in 1988, I, I found myself to be very attracted to this woman right here. Right? Because ac- attraction is what brings people together. Right? But attraction is not a firm foundation to build your relationship on. Why? Because nobody looks good at 6 a.m. Come on. Do you? Yeah, you wake up like that, right? You wake up looking... I woke up looking like this. I, sometimes I joke about Zach because he wakes up looking that way. All right, but beauty fades, right? That's why they say take pictures. So you can remember the moment. You can remember what you used to look like because we're getting older, guys. You are going to change, right? So uh, attraction is not the foundation that you want to build your relationship on, but it's an important aspect because it, it draws you to someone. But let me tell you what the firm foundation is other than God, okay? God is, should be number one. Number one, numero uno. Okay, but let me tell you what that firm foundation is. It's friendship. It's that you develop a relationship. And Nicole and I lived a thousand miles apart. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was in Phoenix, Arizona. And we wrote letters because phone calls back then were, you had long distance fees. How many of you remember long distance fees? And you paid by the minute. 
Let me tell you, it's like using your cell phone in a third world country and calling back and they charge you by the minute. That's what it was like. And my phone, our phone bill, our phone bill was three, 350 to 400 bucks a month, every month. And our moms told us the same thing. You're sowing into your future. But you know what happened? God developed this friendship. Because that was all we had. I mean, we couldn't touch hands. We couldn't hold hands. We couldn't go to those, you know, those beautiful scenery places, you know, where the music begins to play and the wind blows through her hair just, just right and the music starts to play and it's like, oh, thank God, you know. You know, I've seen the sky's part and heaven is shining down. Okay, well, thank God for those moments, but that's not what you build your relationship on. Well, let me tell you, it's the same way as your belief system. You need to set your belief system on a firm foundation, right? I don't know why I keep doing this. A firm foundation, something that you can set, establish your belief system on, right? Okay, so let me read to you. This is an article. This is the April 2019 issue of Premier Christianity. This is an article written by Sam Hales. Listen to what Sam said. He said, believers are searching. This is the way he starts the article. Believers are searching for answers in new places. How many of you see a red flag already? All right, three of you. Here's why that's not good. The Bible is truth. The truth of the word is where we should look. We shouldn't look any further. So now they're looking for answers in other places. And then he goes on to say this. What happens when everything you once believed about God begins to crumble? Perhaps you lose a loved one. You get ill, seriously ill. And you start to question whether God really is good. Let me tell you, how many of you have heard this? Huh? In this generation, you've heard people say, well, you know, you know, I know the Bible says that God is good, but this happened over here. This happened over here. And this is what happened. It happens is, is they are elevating the experience above the word of God. And that's not what God said to do. He said, no, you should believe my word regardless of your circumstances. Regardless of what your circumstances says. He goes on to say, or may you stumble or maybe you stumble across skeptical material online. Huh. <laughs> That's never happened. Or, or you have your belief challenged at a university. How many of you saw uh, uh, God's Not Dead? Saw those movies. Okay, at the end of the movie, there's the credits, right? And the credits show all these different scenarios. I was surprised how many cases there were of lawyers, uh, law cases where uh, professors were challenging students. That the Bible's not accurate. The Bible's not true. The Bible is not uh, the final word. So, so then uh, he goes on to say, belief challenged by universities. In a moment, those doubts you've had about judgment or biblical uh, infallibility come to the forefront and you're left feeling overwhelmed. What do you do? Now, he went on to interview these guys. And this is just one couple that he's interviewing that's, that's, that's going through that deconstruction thing, that demoing what they used to believe, and now they're searching for new truth. And listen to some of the things that they said that they're doing in pursuit of new truth. One of those things is that they read books outside, they begin to read books outside their faith. Why are they doing this? They want to see both sides. Well, do you remember the Garden of Eden? Do you remember the devil? He wanted, he told Eve, he said, listen, if you eat the fruit, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see both sides. You're going to expand your truth. What's going to happen? You're going to then be like God and understand good and evil. 
Is that what happened? No, they died spiritually. So this is one thing they're doing. The second thing that they're doing is they're connecting with like-minded people. What does that mean, like-minded people? People that are going through the same thing as they are. It's funny how like spirits attract like spirits. Man, you can walk into a room of a thousand people and you'll see two people that have never met, that just like magnets. They'll come together. Why? Because they're like spirits. They believe the same way. They're going through the same things. And then listen to what they said. So confusion, there began to be confusion about what they believe. So this is interesting because who's the father of confusion? Satan, Satan, the enemy, the devil. He's the one that wants you to live confused. He wants you to constantly question. Let's go back to the garden. You remember uh, Adam and Eve. So they're there. They're at the tree. He's trying, the, the serpent's trying to get them to eat the fruit. And what is the very first thing that he says to Eve? He says this, did God say? He questions God right away. This is what the enemy does with us. You've been believing God for something. Maybe you've been dealing with a sickness, an illness in your body, and you've been saying, Lord, you said in your word that if I pray, I could receive my healing. You said anything I ask in your name, you would give to me. And so I'm believing you for my healing. I know you took every infirmity, every sickness, every disease on your body on the cross, and by your stripes I'm healed. I am standing for my healing. But then what? Then you, you begin to experience a little more pain. You begin to experience... the condition gets worse the condition gets worse the condition gets worse does that change the truth of what the Bible says about healing but what's what's happening is it's challenging your faith by having more sickness come by having more opportunities come it's challenging your faith are you going to continue to believe what the Bible said Good question, Pastor Phil. So here's, here's where all these guys are ending up. These guys now are saying, hey, we want safe spaces. Now think about that word, safe spaces. The enemy is a pro at taking catchphrases, taking these little phrases and making them mean what he wants them to mean. Okay, so safe spaces. Now here's how they define a safe space. A non-judgmental spaces where they can ask hard questions. Well, let me tell you what safe spaces means. It means where you will be able to talk to someone about the issues that you're having and you're not you're not wanting to ask hard questions, you're wanting to talk to people who agree with you. That's a safe space. Because a safe space is not a place where people are going to challenge what you believe, are going to challenge you with what the word of God says. They're going to challenge you. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, this is, this is why some uh, organizations or some people groups that believe a certain way, they, they, want it, they want hate speech to be voted in. But why? Because they want you to close your mouth. Because then they don't have to deal with the conviction in their own heart. Now listen to how, now he ends it on a good note. He says this, this is the last sentence of the article. Uh, that he says, he says, deconstruction can be dangerous. The wrong approach can lead people to adopt false ideas about God or reject any form of spiritual authority. And that's absolutely true. So let's continue to read in Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 2. It says, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. For if the message of the law spoken and confirmed by angels brought a just penalty to every disobedient uh, violation, then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us 
life. It's the truth, truth of the word that gives you life. The Lord said himself, the first to announce these, I'm sorry, the Lord himself was the first to announce these things. And those who heard him firsthand confirmed their accuracy. Then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry with signs, astonishing wonders, all kinds of powerful miracles. And by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed as he desired. How many of you have seen signs, wonders, miracles in your lifetime? Look, come on, raise your hands. You've seen it. Okay, I've seen, man, I've seen it. I've seen a guy get lay, hands laid on him. He threw his crutches down. He ran across the front of the church. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen limbs grow out. I've seen my mom go to the hospital with a, uh, with a congestive heart failure and walk out in 16 days completely whole and healed. We've seen amazing miracles that God has done. So hasn't God proven himself to you yet? So how come it is when challenges arise, opportunities arise, conflict, all these different things that try to attack your body, is your faith shaken? Do you begin to doubt? Well, you know, sometimes God uses these bad things to to teach you something. You know, one of the things that, that... as we were reading that article about this young couple that's going through this deconstruction thing, is they talked about seeing both sides. Both sides. Listen to what Dwight L. Moody said. He said, a great many people say, you must hear both sides. But if man should write me a most slanderous letter about my wife, I don't think I would have to read it. I should, I should tear it up and throw it into the wind. Have I to read all the infidel books that are written to hear both sides? Uh, have, I, uh, have I to take up a book that is slanderous to my Lord and my Master who has redeemed me with his blood 10,000 10, times? No, I do not touch it. Let me tell you, the purpose of demonic strategy is to confuse you about what you believe. He wants to confuse you about what you believe. Why? Because he knows if he, if he can, he can shake you off of it. And if he can get you out of belief, it cripples your faith. Wow. Wow. Man, it's time to change the oil in our car, isn't it? Keep it running, man. <laughs> keep our faith oiled. We need the oil of the Holy Spirit, don't we, man? To keep. I was, I was, we had uh, my, uh, my niece and my nephew came from the East Coast to visit uh, the last couple of days. So we've had them at our house. And my niece was telling me a story about my sister because my sister used to have this little 1978 or something Volkswagen Bug. How many of you remember the Bug? You know, some of you guys, it was yellow and it was the four-speed, you know, no air conditioning, 1,300 cc's of poor, you know, just power. (laughs) And, And so that little car my niece was sharing with me because I never knew what happened to that car. And she said, you know what happened to the car, don't you? And I said, no. And she said, Mom, never change the oil. And she said, and the engine locked up. It just killed the car. And I thought, dear God, I didn't realize whatever happened to that car, you know. But how many of you know your engine is on the verge of lockup if you don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit? How do we get the oil of the Holy Spirit? 
We have got to spend time in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, studying it, putting it in our eyes, putting it in our ears so that it goes down deep into our heart so that it can take root and it can rise up and produce in our life. (laughs) Glory to God. You know, that's how your faith grows. That's how you keep your engine oiled. You were wondering where I was going with that old engine oil thing, didn't you? Okay, so I want to give you two things in making your decision that are important. Two things. One is conviction. Say, Phil, what do you mean conviction? We must all come to a place where we discover the truth of God's word for ourselves. Okay? I I can't do it for you. I mean, the pastor can preach a great message. We can have a guest minister coming like AJ did last week, man, and preach fire. I mean, he was on fire, let me tell you. Not condemnation. I mean, it was fire of the Holy Spirit, man. And as powerful as that is, or as powerful as any other speaker could come, and could, it, it all comes down to you. You have to settle what you believe for yourself. And you can't do it by reading, doing Google searches. You can't do it on social media. You can't do it by asking theologians, people that you respect, You have to open the Bible for yourself and read it for yourself. I had to come to this place for myself that my faith is no longer based on my mom. I've read it for myself. I've seen it work in my own life. I've seen sign wonders and miracles happen in my own life. And let me tell you, you can't talk me out of it. Because I believe it. And that's where we all have to come to. So the first person that you have to convince is yourself. Say it out loud. I have to convince myself first. Right, Zach and Becca came to two different uh, revelations on this and, at, at different times. And I remember Zach, and I've told you this probably before, but he, was, he had come home from playing with some of his friends. And I said, hey, how'd, how'd your time go playing, playing with your friends? He said, oh, it was good for a while. You know, we, we played video games, but then they turned a, a bad game on. And I said, so what'd you do? And he said, well, I got up to leave. And then what happened? Well, you know, my friend said, where are you going? I said, well, how'd you answer him? He said, well, I said, my mom and dad don't want me playing those games. So I said, Zach, let me ask you a question. When will the conviction be yours? When will your mom and I no longer receive the blame for your lack of conviction? And, and, and I saw a turning point in him. I saw him begin to have his own conviction, begin to get into the word and find out what is my conviction? What do I believe? What is too far for me? What, you know? And, and then Becca, I remember, she asked a really good question. We were, she, uh, Nicole told me about it. She asked you, um, uh, when will I believe it? Because I believe it, not because my, I know my mom and dad believe it. Well, you, she had to come to a place on her own. See, because when people come to a place on their own, then, because if I get you there, I have to try and keep you there. That doesn't work. That's poor leadership. But if I give you the tools, and, and let me tell you, don't take my word for anything that I'm saying this morning. You read the word yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Find out what it says, and then apply it to your own life. Good preaching, pastor. Yeah. Okay. I just encouraged myself. So, so how many of you know, I, I, I think Eric Johnson, I heard him make this statement and it, and it, 
I, I agreed it. I was like, yeah, that was well said. He was talking about Kanye West and the new album that was getting ready to come out. And before it came out, Eric Johnson said, he said, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited, but I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. And then his album hit, and I started listening to the songs, and I was like, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Man, you're doing a work. What's happened? Well, I saw him in an interview. And, you know, the, the, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel that was interviewing him, and he said, he said, so tell me, I mean, about this Christian thing. Is this just a phase? Is this just a phase you're going through? And he said, no. It's, it, he said, let me tell you what happened, Jimmy. He said, I was asleep and I woke up. I said, man, there's a guy that gets it. How many of us need to wake up different areas of our life? How many of us need to wake up to Christianity to the fullness of Christianity, to uh, walking in faith, living a life of faith, living a life of overcoming instead of just get, letting life run over us. Man, you got the tread marks up your shirt, you know. So, so let me ask you this question. Why choose to put your faith in God? Let's answer that question. Let's say you're all a bunch of atheists in here. If you're an atheist, right? no, I'm teasing. Don't raise your hand. So, so I read this. One of the things would be the track record, wouldn't it? Every other religion, there should be a track record. And, and prophecy is one of the things that we can see that track record. Look at this. The Institute for Creation Research, listen to what they said. They said not a single prophecy from the Bible has been proven false. Many prophecies remain for the future, but all that have come to pass have been, have been verified to be true. Thousands of prophecies from the Bible have been fulfilled. Okay, so they made this statement, but consider this. Consider this. One person, one person. Okay, let me back up. Jesus fulfilled, the Bible talks about, uh, and I know there was more than this, but let's just say it was, it, was, it was over 300. Some people, you know, can take it up into the thousands. But let's just use that number. It was just over 300. Okay, I know, I know it was more than that, but I just want to use that. In, in this example. Okay, so the first, let's say this, one person fulfilling eight prophecies, just one person fulfilling eight prophecies, it, there's a one in one, and put 17 zeros behind that, so you could say it this way, that's one in nearly a quintillion. Okay, we're way past trillion, okay? Two more past trillion is quintillion. Okay, one in, a, in just nearly a quintillion chance that they would fulfill eight prophecies. Just eight. Okay, let's take it a step further. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a lot. (sighs) Math was not one of my stronger subjects. But then, one person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies Impossible. Impossible. Yet Jesus fulfilled it. Think about this. There, there's four, in the Bible, there's 40 authors that authored 66 books that are in the Bible. They authored those books over 1,500 years. Right? And in that time frame, how is it that all the different books that they wrote, they blend perfectly together? And all of them point the same direction to Jesus. 
Jesus. Oh, man, hasn't God proven himself to you yet? The reason that prophecy is true is it came from God. Consider this, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For every scripture was given, was written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Every scripture was written by the Holy Spirit. That means God himself wrote the Bible. No, no, Phil, men wrote Bible. All these different, Matthew wrote Matthew, Luke wrote Luke, John wrote John. No, they did, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were directed by the Holy Spirit to write. So it makes the Bible true. Think about this. In John chapter 1, what did it say about the Word? The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then later it said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who, who became the Word? Who was the Word? Jesus was the Word. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14 verse 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if the Bible is absolute truth, shouldn't we make it final authority in our life? So shouldn't that mean that if there's a bad report, the Bible can supersede a bad report in our life? Shouldn't that mean that we should be willing to be committed to the Word of God to make it our priority in life? To make it the very thing that we live by. Okay, the second thing that you need in making a decision is resolve. Resolve. You're resolute. You know what that means? There's no bending. There's no changing your mind. You know, you need to solidify it for yourself. You, that can only come by revelation. And revelation only comes by spending time with God in the Word. Because the book, the Bible, is like no other book ever written. Because it's a book that's alive. It's full of life. So, I want you to consider something. Let's think about the Declaration of Independence for a second. Nicole's family, the Bartlett family, they, can, they trace their family lineage all the way back to Josiah Bartlett. Josiah Bartlett was one, and Nicole could show you where his name is. I don't remember. Top on the last line, Josiah Bartlett. Okay. So, so, I didn't bring that up to talk about him, but just for a second, that was a passing. But anyway, but he was one of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so these signers, listen to who these guys are. These guys are lawyers, they're jurists, they're, they're merchants, they're farmers, uh, they're plantation owners, they're well-educated men, they're men of mean, they're men of means because they were the leaders, they were the influencers uh, of that generation. But... These guys signed a proclamation. See, Great Britain saw what was going on because our country was not a country yet. It was not fully established. In fact, many of the people that lived in, our, in, in this land didn't even agree together. This nation didn't become what it is today until much later. Okay, But these guys realized Great Britain was coming in and they were trying to take over. They were going to start adding taxation. They were going to start doing all these different things. And so these guys, these 56 signers of the Declaration, the Declaration of Independence was a form, a document that they put together. And what they said in that document was they named everything that was not going to happen, that they were not going to allow Great Britain to do. And then they signed it. 
And when they signed it, they signed a death sentence. Let me tell you what happened. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary War. Another had two sons that were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died by wounds and the hardships of the Revolutionary War. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship swept from the sea by the British Navy. He sold his home and his property to pay his debts and he died in rags and poverty. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. They were moving all over the place. He served in Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken away from him and poverty was his reward. Look at this. Uh, Vandals and soldiers located the property of Dillery, Hall, Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Yorktown Thomas Nelson Jr. Uh, noted the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson family home and used it for headquarters. He quietly urged General George Washington to open fire and his home was completely destroyed. Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and property destroyed. The enemy jailed his, uh, his wife and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his uh, wife's bedside when she was dying. Their 13-year-old daughter fled, uh, children fled, their 13 children, sorry, fled for their lives. His, fil- his fields and his gristmill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in the forest and in caves. And returning home to find that his wife was dead and his children vanished a few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates. So, gee, was that a joyous outcome? But what are we enjoying today as a result of their sacrifice? Let me tell you, today, this morning, is your day to draft your resolution. You're letting the enemy know, no more. I'm not doing it anymore. You can't keep me in bondage. You cannot enslave me. You cannot do all the things that you're trying to do in my life because I'm an overcomer. God has set me free. I live under the jurisdiction of a new kingdom. And it's a free kingdom. Resolve. What's your level of commitment? This is why this is important. Because Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. I encouraged both Zach and Becca uh, when they were younger to develop their own creed, to write their creed down. Write down what you believe. Solidify it. For me, when I write things down, it helps me so much. It gives me a base for my life. I wrote down, you know, some of you husbands in here, you might need to write down, hey, what's your vision for your family this year, 2020? What's your vision for your family? You individually, what's your vision for your life in 2020? Why are we having a vision conference? That's why. It's because we want to give you the tools and through God, God has given us the tools to be able to write down our vision so then we can walk it out. In Habakkuk, it says, write the vision, make it plain so he who reads can run with it. You can run with your vision when it's clear what you believe. Can't you? 
Listen to what Corey Timboon said. She said, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Once you know something, you're responsible for it. Let me say that again. Once you know something, you're responsible for it. When you took your driver's test and you climbed in that car for the first time and you got your license and you get to drive by yourself for the first time, now you have become responsible for what you learned. I want to read this last thing to you in closing. In April of 2011, a line of deadly tornadoes ripped across the state of Alabama, leaving 250 people dead in its wake. Near Wellington, Alabama, the Hardy family realized that the storm was coming too late for them to find permanent shelter. They considered trying to take shelter in a metal clubhouse, but the storm had already knocked that clubhouse down with its wind. So in desperation, they took shelter in a small stand of trees, and they, tried, they tied ropes around their children, and they huddled around them in the trees in the, as the storm passed. A family member said that while they had been scratched by flying dirt and debris, none of them suffered any serious injuries. Let me tell you, when you become saved, there's a misconception. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you commit your life to him, some people think, well, I shouldn't have any more problems. Life should just be the end of a Disney movie where they say happily ever after. Remember those old Disney movies? And it said happily ever after at the end. And you just assume from that day forward, everything was perfect. But have you ever seen a movie after that one? They have to break the couple up so that they can start the chase again and bring them to a place where they wind up back together again at the end. <laughs> Why is that? Well, for one, Hollywood hasn't learned yet what a happy marriage can be. But even in the midst of a happy marriage, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face storms of life. But here's, here's my desire for you, and here's God's desire for you, is that he wants you to be like the wise man that built his house on a firm foundation. See, young couples that base their relationships when they're getting married on just attraction, they're building on the wrong foundation. It's sand. And although you can build a beautiful house on sand, how many of you know when the first storm comes, there's not going to be much of that house left. It's going to fall down. It doesn't have a foundation. But when you build a house and you drill down to bedrock and you set that foundation on bedrock, so our home in Louisville, Kentucky, when it was built, it has a basement, full basement, and they had to blast because bedrock was two feet below the surface. They had to literally blast out the stone so that they could break open enough space to put the basement in. Let me tell you, that house isn't going anywhere. That foundation isn't going anywhere. And that's what God wants in your life is he wants you to have a firm foundation, a solid place. Where you, where you put your belief system, you base your belief system on the Word of God, I'm telling you, you're putting it on a firm foundation. But if you begin to go out and look for and search for truth in other, word, in other areas, you may find a truth. But I guarantee you it'll be a partial one. It'll be a temporary one. And the enemy is more than happy to help you. 
He'll help you search for truth anywhere but the Bible. Why? Because he wants to keep you in bondage. The devil doesn't keep you in bondage by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control your life and telling you I'm, I'm going to, you know, coming in all obvious. He doesn't do that. He tries to get you to submit to your own desires and passions and lust as a person. That's how he tries to pull you into bondage. But I'm telling you, God has set us free. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, vision for life.